listening to the Tennis.com podcast. And here's your host, Ed McGrogan. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Tennis.com podcast, French Open edition. I'm Ed McGrogan here with Pete Bodo and Tom Parada. Um, Tom will be filling in here for Steve Tegner, who's in Paris. Uh, the first uh, thing I have in mind about the this tournament is the rain that's been hammering down the past couple of days. Um, Tom, you've written about it on the site, but what do you expect this to have an impact on the tournament? Well, I mean, it could affect the draws because some matches were delayed today. I mean, a big thing I see is Serena Williams is in the toughest quarter in the women's draw, along with Justine and Maria Sharapova. And uh, she didn't play today. And if the other two, you know, get through and have an extra day off, I mean, w- once one of them, w- if if they end up meeting up in their quarterfinals, either Serena against Justine or, or Maria, I mean, it could could affect things if she has to play a few days in a row. What do yeah, you think, Tom, Pete? Do you really think it makes a big difference? You know, I mean, you know, with all due respect, women's tennis, best of three, clay court, fairly soft surface. Do you think that extra day of rest? I mean, I would think that, you know, if you look at all the grand slams, maybe even more so than at Wimbledon, the extra day is, you know, a bit of a luxury for the WTA. That's true. That's a really good point. I would say the one difference maybe in this case is that Serena, this being her least comfortable service, if you can run around a lot, the two days in a row might actually help someone because you can get away with a little more against her than you would you know on a hard court where this takes a little bit of the sting out of her shots but i think it is a luxury that's a good point how do you like the way she's been playing these days ed what do you, you say play? serena well um considering that she hadn't played in quite a while i mean since the since a since the hard court yeah since the hard court yeah i mean since january she was well enough in her first match um i mean i thought Annan, who, who she may face down the road seems to she had a couple stumbling blocks in her first match but overall i think those two are doing well enough and uh it's still kind of a pick them in my mind if they if they meet down the road a little bit um but going a little more on the rain there um you know what's happened the past couple of days it's brought up a little more talk about the venue itself whether it's still you know viable there's been talk of the open moving in a couple of years um what do you guys kind of hear and what your thoughts are about that I, I put a column up on our. Tom's been writing about this, I think, right? Yeah, I put a column up on our site this week, and maybe it's uh, uh, maybe I'm speaking out of class here, but I'm not a big fan of that venue. It's very small. It's the smallest of the slams in terms of actual size. It's very crowded. It's not fan friendly at all. It's tough to see matches. There isn't a roof. Oh, uh, wait, as wait, you can wait, wait, now, all the all the, all the, so many of our listeners are probably sitting there watching. God, I wish I'd be in Paris at Roland Garros, you know. And here you are. Coming along here, you know, here, here comes a guy with the with the pin, meat balloon. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, of, of all the slams, to me, it's the least fan-friendly slam there is. And it, can, should it stay in Paris? That's fine with me. If they can expand it, but I don't know that that's going to happen. But I don't think it's such a big deal if they move it somewhere else. I mean, it doesn't have to be right in the center of Paris. I think it'd be great if they moved to Versailles or... Yeah, they or somewhere move, else. They can move the Eiffel Tower out to like somewhere near the highway too. You know. So you think they you think they should stay put, Pete, and stay at that size? You know, even more importantly, what I think they should do is what I think they will do, and I think I, I don't see any way that they're that that they're leaving. I think this is kind of a bargaining chip with the city. And oh, with, that's true. And also with the neighborhood. Now, you know, the neighborhood. You know, it, it's kind of classic. These things are mirrored all over the world. It's this whole "not in my backyard" mentality that you see coming up everywhere you know and uh and i think in paris it's become a little bit like that because it, that neighborhood bologna is a very sort of upscale neighborhood it's a you know it's oddly enough very much like wimbledon and like the old u.s open out of forest hills both of which took place in the middle because the clubs were located in the middle of 
these upscale, now granted very sort of old school, it's, you know, time maybe has passed some of these places by a little bit, but in these great old neighborhoods with grand old houses and all that. And uh, a as is the case with the U.S. Open had to move, partly because of resistance in a neighborhood to them expanding. In fact, the reason the U.S. Open move was be moved was because the USTA had hoped to build a giant parking lot, you know, multi-level indoor parking lot near uh, Forest Hill. So, you know, that's, that's starting to happen at the French Open too, but I, I don't think, I think the French value their tradition enough, and I think, I think the tournament is using this threat of a move to try to get people to think, well, maybe you know, maybe it's not so bad having his neighbors. Yeah, I mean, do you you would like it to stay there? Just to clarify that, or I don't. Yeah, I don't have the issues Tom has with the event. I mean, uh, I don't yeah, have an issue know. with it being there either. I just think they need to expand, and if not, then they should move. I think well, I think that's what they're fighting about. Those are plans for expansion. In fact, I, I think they've drawn up plans for a retractable roof, at least one retractable roof. But that again, you know, I think that's that becomes a big sticking point with neighbors because you know retractable roof roof means night matches. That means you know there's a real real solid chance that at, you know twelve thirty in the morning or one o'clock in the morning, people sleeping you know a block away from the stadium are going to hear a massive cheer as Nadal you know wins a fourth set over Federer. You know, so yeah. you know that that's a whole other takes it to a whole other level when they put up lights. So I don't know if that'll happen. Yeah, well, there there are matches that did did go on here today, and one you know. Especially the lights, now you bring it up today, Gael Monfils was actually um, felled by Fabio Fignini. He just lost that match. But we'll stay with the women, just as we mentioned, Serene and Emin before. Um, the other half of the draw there, uh, it's the Kuznetsova half. She uh, just escaped her match um, with the tennis world pick, um, Pekovic, I believe. And, uh, you know, what do you guys see in the rest of the women's draw there, bottom half in particular? Who is going to come up against possibly Serena or Anna. How would you like to be a WTA player and be told you're in this Kuznetsova half of the draw? <laughs> now, I mean, with all due respect, she's a defending champion, but boy, if there's, if, has there ever been a less predictable player? I mean, both in a good way and a bad way. You know, you think, you know, just when you think this woman is, is really going to sort of, you know, get her sea legs and, 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 you know, get that number one ranking or, or, or win a couple slams in a row and establish herself as a legitimate top player, she disappears. And all of a sudden, just when you think she's disappeared for good, she pops up and does something like wins a French Open. So I think anybody in the Kuznetsova half has got to be feeling pretty good about themselves, certainly better than they'd be feeling about being in the Serena half. I think if Venus Williams is going to make it to her French Open final again in her career, this is a really good year to do it because she's in that same half, and it's a it's a wide-open half. Yeah, but she's got Aravon Rezai in there. Now, a lot of people didn't know who she was until Madrid there where, where Rezai beat uh, Venus in, in a final there. And uh, she's sort of really been picking up steam, I think. There's just, kind of a, there's just kind of a buzz about her that isn't, you know, fabricated. It's not hype. You know, I think yeah, people are starting to realize this girl can play. She's on a roll. You know, you never know how long a role lasts and when a player, you know, sort of runs out of the inspiration or, you know, starts departing the zone and goes, you know, back to what they had previously been. But, I mean, I think she could be, I think she could be a real dangerous contender. For, and, and, and it'd be a great grudge match to see that, to see Venus and her playing the next round. She reside clearly hits, you know, on a, on a different level than most of the other girls are. And she's really a, a treat to watch, as we've seen the past couple of weeks. Um, we'll move on to the men now. And uh, today, Andy Roddick just uh, moved on to the third round. He uh, won a four-setter. Um, that's after winning a five-setter in the first round. Um, you know, for, for someone who didn't play at all uh, after his titles in Miami, his title run in Miami, Roddick's done all right here. And, um, you know, what do you guys think of his chances maybe to match his fourth-round performance of last year? I, I think he's got a good shot to match. Well, yeah, he's got a good shot to match the fourth round. He's got Ferrer 
in there, and that's going to be a tough one. But I think this tournament, everything here is, is gravy for him. This is great. He hasn't played. He comes in. He gets some matches. Wimbledon's the, still the big goal. He's relaxed. Get some matches in. Go off and train for Wimbledon if he doesn't you know, make it that much farther in this tournament and puts him in a good place for that. I, you know, I, I, I'm not so convinced that Ferrer is such a bad matchup for him. People are saying that. And like, granted, the guy's terrific on clay, Ferrer. I mean, but, you know, he's also a guy you can lean on and push around a little bit. And I think that's very much Andy's style. I think, like, a guy like Nadal will go up against a Ferrer. And granted, he's coming with a baseline game, so he's doing everything that Ferrer does, but he's doing it better. But Roddick, I think, also, when, you, when, you, when, you're, when, when you've got the kind of size and power as an Andy Roddick, you know, if, if you're playing well, you can really know take control of matches and Ferrer is a guy who it strikes me you can take control against you got to watch for his defensive skills you know his ability to track down balls and stuff but you know what one, one of the you know misconceptions I think about the clay court game is that you really need to be able to, to rally for 15 20 30 shots if you go back and look at those great Federer and Nadal finals we've had or we've well some of them weren't so great score wise but you know are certainly interesting matchups and the two best clay court players in the world you'll see a lot of those they, they very they often they very rarely you know went beyond seven or eight shots basically both of those because both of those guys were guys who like who like to force the action you know uh, for, for reasons of their own so at, you know at its highest level on you know clay court tennis you know you're looking at maybe in in this day and age six seven eight strokes you know max and i think if andy can sort of play well enough to impose that template which is very imposable Onto things, and I think he's, he he yeah. may have a shot. Yeah, he's got the he's got the fitness too with the serve, and he's come back well for it. Um, another American who just advanced to the third round as well, John Isner. He did a little better than his uh, friend and doubles partner Sam Corey, who lost in the first. But Isner's threw it around three as well. Um, you hey, know, wait a second. Yeah. You know, let's talk about Corey for a minute. How weak was that of Corey? That was that was a, that was that was rough in a strange press conference afterwards, and it it just sounds like he's been. Frustrated with things for a while and sounded homesick, and I, I don't know what's going on there. He never gave up the attitude to me. He seemed like he was in this real happy-go-lucky mode. I mean, that's maybe just his character, but he sounded like he was doing well coming into here, and this is just like a complete 180 from his performance before. Well, I mean, you know, you're talking about a, you're a professional tennis player. There are four times a year when you got to bring your A game, and you got to do whatever it takes, and you got to really sort of ramp it up and, and do it. And, you know, Sam, you know, you're reading his stuff and he's complaining about, you know, look, I mean, he hates being in Europe. That's fine. You know, a lot, a lot of Europeans hate being in the U.S. You know, that hasn't prevented Roger Federer from winning the U.S. Open a pile of times. But, and, they, you know, and the Euros, European players hate the Indian Wells-Miami run a lot. But yeah, they, but yeah. they still so, do it. Yeah. yeah, but they show up and they do it. And so I think, you know, it was really, <clears throat> I mean, I was, you know, somewhat shocked that, that Sam, who's basically got enough experience now and, and who knows really what, you, what it takes to really, you know, be up near the top or contending for some of these titles, that you just kind of run out of steam like that. The best, the best spin you could put on it is that you, you, you almost admire his honesty for going in there and saying, look, you know, I, was, I wasn't into it. You know, I, I want to go home. I just want to pull out and, and, and all that. But if that's the best you can say of it, that's not a very good sign for Sam. Yeah. Back to Isner. I mean, we'll just look kind of at his half of the draw, really. We got he's going to get Burdich in a battle of big guys. Um, you know, some, some interesting third rounders come up to Bacher and Sanga at the bottom there. And this is of course where Federer is at the top. Federer gets another sort of no name in the third round in, in uh, Julian Reister here and probably meet a Swiss bud in the, in the fourth round. Um, I guess, what do you guys, and this is also a Soderling and Chilichar. Uh, what do you guys make of, uh, this top half of the men's draw? I think Isers has got a great quarter there. You know, Murray is the highest seed. He, hasn't looked he hasn't played particularly well so far he had a nice comeback against Gasquet but that was to me more Gasquet imploding after 
not closing it out in three sets. Isner's playing well, and his serve is plenty effective on this surface. He has to get through Berdick, though. I, I think Berdick, you know, given the, the way he played in Miami to get to the final there, and he seems to really, you know, pretty much stepped it up here, too. I'm, I'm not sure he's lost a set in this tournament yet. So, I mean, I think, you know, Isner, you know, you can't, you, you really can't look beyond that match if you're John Isner, because now, granted, their, their games match up pretty well. They're both guys who like to hit the big serve. Uh, You've got to give Berdick an edge, you know, on a gr- you know, off the ground, especially on a clay court, which is what Berdick grew up on. So, yeah, it's a winnable match, but it's also one of those matches where you say, yeah, you know, it'd be great if you could win it, but let's not forget that this guy can play too. Yeah. The only guy we haven't mentioned yet, surprisingly enough, Rafael Nadal, but his match today postponed because of the weather. Um, any other thoughts, guys, on either, you know, sections draw first five days of what you've seen so far? Um or we look I haven't seen anything that makes me think it's not better than a dollar. Still to plan, the main still. topic going into the weekend. But well, you got to wonder if Roger is, is, is going to you know, be able to avoid the kind of lapses he's had over the past couple months. Uh, now, granted, his, his, his statement in his last Grand Slam at the Australian Open kind of suggested that, yeah, this is, this is a, we're talking about something at a different level here now. You know, this is a Grand Slam. This is not, you know, a Masters, and it's not certainly not an ATP 500 or 250. So, you know, it, he may make good on his on, on the sort of unspoken message that he's been sending, which is that the only thing that counts for him anymore is Grand Slams. But you got to wonder if that's really going to be true because, you know, when you're not playing a lot of matches, when you've when you kind of gotten used to maybe losing a couple of matches, losing a little motivation and stuff, you're always a little bit more vulnerable. Yeah. Any um, last words, upset picks for the weekend? It's, it's a long one. I mean, just to let everyone know, the podcast will be back after Memorial Day weekend uh, with Steve Tigner returning from Paris. Um, and uh, Pete will be out in Paris as well. Uh, One guy I'm watching there is uh, Leonardo Meyer, you know, the young Argentinian player. You know, he's got Chilich next. I think that's got an, of an upset special uh, potentially. Now, Chilich is playing well. Granted, he's more of a hardcore player than a clay court player at this stage. But, uh, you know, Mayer's, Mayer's got some game. And I think he's, you know, he, he's, he's going to be a top player one of these d- yeah. days. Maybe it's a little bit too soon for him. But I would watch that match. That could be a good one. Timo Debacher, too, another young player I think worth keeping an eye on. Could definitely beat uh, Joe Wilfried Sanga, who hasn't played particularly well and also had a bit of a tirade after his last match. He's upset about scheduling, and, and you know maybe he's uh, maybe he's thinking beyond this tournament at this point because he's so upset. Debacher's great on clay. He's got a good section there, a chance to make the quarterfinals. He's only 18, is it, 18, 19? Mm, I think it might be 19 or 20 at yeah, this point. Definitely. Well, if Sanga goes down, he would continue another miserable tournament for the French, but... Uh, for the, French men, for the French men, at least. I mean, Rezai's doing, of course, well, but, you know. Another guy who's been killing the ball is Soderling. Have you guys watched Soderling sing? Have you looked at his scores? He be, gave two, two games two away games to, to Dent. Dent. Ooh, I mean, this is like, yeah. you know, yeah, I mean, you know, Soderling, Soderling, you know, he's got the final of last year under his belt. The, guy is, the guy's proven himself that he's, you know, that he's in it to win it, basically, and he's, he, he's around. He's not, he didn't have that lapse you expected after that French Open final. Every time, he, every time something's happened to the guy, like if he's lost a match, Maybe a guy shouldn't lose to, or if he's come up with, with an injury and he has had injuries, you kind of think, well, it's too bad. Maybe he that's bounces the end right of, back. And yeah. the, the guy bounces right back and he gets right back in the hunt. Yeah, you know, it's uh, and he. Well, although he's got a tough one with Montanias, Montanias is playing pretty well. I mean, on, on on this red clay surface as well as Soderling's been playing. I think you know, the, the, you know, it's home turf for Montanias, so that that could be that could be a tough one for Soderling. Yeah. I mean, I never thought I'd say it, but I'd like to see Soderling play Federer for. The fourth time in the last two years of this slam, it'd be a really, it would be a really good one and probably the best test. You'd have Rogers. to put on a better show though this time than yeah. some of the other times. He's Absolutely. won one set, right? Yeah. Is that right? One set. Yeah. 
We'll see what he does. Um, that's it for this time. Like I said, the podcast will return next week, next um, Wednesday we have planned for. And Pete will be in Paris, and it will be Tom and Steve and I. Why don't you ask them for, uh, to send in questions to our we can podcast do at tennis.com. Let me take over what used to be James Martin's responsibility. Yeah, you're going you're gonna to run the – You've got to remember this from now on, Ed. That's right. Send your questions to podcast at tennis.com. And, uh, you know, we'll, we'll come back with maybe another question and answer show. Maybe we'll do it before the French. Maybe we can do it before the French, before the French final. You guys can field some questions before the final from our readers. Send them, send them on in. And that'll be all for now. But uh, thanks for listening. Tennis.com podcast again. Uh, Ed McGrogan with Pete Bodo and Tom Parada. Thanks again. You've been enjoying Tennis.com's weekly podcast. Thanks for listening. For all the latest news and events, head over to tennis.com.